You're listening to the Psalms of Summer, a sermon series of Caroline Springs Anglican. For more information, go to carolinesprings.church. And so we're going to see the sort of journey that David takes through this psalm. And I'm wanting to ask the question this morning, what do you do when you feel distant from God? What do you do when you feel disconnected from God? Because something you need to understand about the context here is that David, now that he is out of the city, now that he is in the desert, he is also cut off from God himself. Remember, in the Old Testament, the place you would go to meet with God was the temple of God. And that's where David knew God. That's where David had seen God. That's where David had experienced and worshipped God. Now he is cut off from the city of God and the temple of God. He is disconnected from God. And so he writes this psalm feeling the weight of that disconnection. And I want to ask this morning, what do you do? Not when you're disconnected from the church because this is no Old Testament temple. We live in a new covenant where we can commune with God wherever we are. But all of us know that there are periods that we go through, seasons that we go through in our faith where we feel dry where we feel disconnected. So I'm going to ask this morning, we're going to look from this psalm, what can we do in those moments? What can we do in those seasons? And if you're not in that season now, you will be sometime. So pay attention. What can we do to draw near to God? I've got four points and we're going to jump into it in just a minute. Let me pray for us as we open God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for Psalm 63. Indeed, for the whole book of Psalms, Lord, for their raw reality. And I pray for those of us this morning, particularly those of us who feel disconnected from you, who feel dry. Lord, please refresh us, replenish us, call us back to yourself. Show us the way. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm wondering this morning if you've ever felt thirsty. If you've ever felt thirsty. I don't just mean, th- I don't mean thirsty like I'm um, looking forward to a coffee after the service. I or, you know, not, not regular thirsty. I mean like really, really thirsty, parched, like life and death thirsty. Not many of us, probably. I do remember one time where this happened. I was in year eight, and I went to a really, I went to a posh private school. You know, every kid had a silver spoon in their mouth. It was very, very, very nice. Um, And you would imagine, like, if you go to a school like that, then the school camps are probably at resorts, right? Where, you know, swimming and sunbathing and swim up bars. It wasn't like that at all. In fact, I think they used these school camps to kind of get back at us. This was like teacher's revenge, right? And, and, and the reason I think that is because they were two weeks of just utter devastation, right? Every camp I went to from year seven to year ten was two weeks of um, no, like no bathrooms, um, no cooked food, just what they would do is they would give you a certain amount of kilometres to walk each day 
and at the end of that, if you reached that, there would be a food drop of dry biscuits, right? And maybe some salami if the animals hadn't got into it first, right? And there was no tents, there was no sleeping bags, there was just a tarp, right? So it was revenge, it really was. And I think the teachers just queued up to go on these camps to watch us suffer. And so year eight was Hatter National Park. It's in the Mallee region of northern Victoria. It's a desert. And our job for 10 days was to walk between 10 and 15 k's each day with a pack, one bottle of water, and try and get to the end so that we could eat something before we collapsed in tears um, and waited for the next morning. All that was fine, except that one day they decided we would do this little detour, and rather than going from our one drop to the next drop, we would do this little orienteering course through the desert, because uh, that sounds fun. And, um, and so they set it up as sort of like an orienteering thing, you take a compass or whatever. What they, the mistake they made was the teachers decided they would like to stay back. I'm pretty sure whiskey was involved or some kind of refreshment. And, um, and they weren't going to go with us. They sent a student teacher. She was about 15, I think, um, or maybe 20-something, but she was this, this very raw, young student teacher. They sent her off to leave. This would never happen today, right? You don't have to worry if you've got kids today. This is illegal, right? But, so she was leading us on this course to nowhere, literally out into the desert and back again. And I just, I just so clearly remember this happening, right? I was trying to keep up the front because I wanted to impress her because she was kind of pretty. And I just remember her holding the map and then stopping and doing this. Now, like, it doesn't matter what language you speak or what culture you come from or what time period you've lived in, that always means I'm completely lost, right? No one does this unless they're... Comp- and she was completely lost, and we were only allowed to take this one bottle of water with this. Most of us were at the very bottom of that by the time we uh, got lost. And then so the rest of the afternoon into the evening, into the late evening, was trying to find our way back. Eventually, the um, teachers who had been refreshing themselves came and found us. This was before GPS and all this stuff, right? And by the time we got back to the camp, every one of us thought we were going to die. Legitimately thought we were going to die, like like ringing headache, migraine-type pain, um, just completely just like a desert in the mouth, in the throat, like as if we had stopped sweating because we couldn't... Like it was that kind of situation. And the thing about thirst, that kind of thirst, not like looking forward to coffee kind of thirst, but that kind of thirst, the life and death kind of thirst, is that it completely completely overtakes every thought, every movement, like everything is about getting the water. That's all you can think about. And it's what drives people crazy. It drives them to run out deeper into the desert and die, right? This, this, this complete overtaking of your being. And that's why it's so apt that David describes his situation in verse 1. Read it with me. He says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. How earnestly? I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. 
in a dry and parched land where there is no water. That's literally where he's in the desert of Judah. He's, that's where he is. It's a dry and parched land, but he's saying it's more than that. It's more than just physical thirst. This physical thirst that I'm feeling is an expression of my spiritual state. I am thirsty for you, God. I'm earnestly seeking you like a man who is on the brink of death. I'm seeking you. I have to find you. I have to meet with you. You're everything to me. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. Have you ever been so distant from God that it, was, it had become like a, a matter of life and death? You, you have to be with him again. Well, I've got four, four points for us this morning, and I'm, we're just going to look at them sequentially and, and um, make our way through the, the psalm this morning. The first one I want to say is this. We need to understand that dryness is God's means to draw us. Dryness is God's means to draw us. What I want to say is that this, that, that this thirst that we have for God, this disconnection from Him, this, this yearning, is actually God's design. He wants us to thirst. He wants us to be unsatisfied. He wants us to feel an emptiness. He wants all of these things. He wants us to recognize that we need to be with Him so that we will Seek Him. This is God's good design. And so if you're feeling thirsty this morning, if you're feeling disconnected from God, then you need to know that's good. Your situation may not be good. The path that you went down to find yourself in the desert may not be good, but the recognition that you're lacking what you need and that you desperately need it is good. God's design. The problem is, and I would say this is a universal experience, right? This dryness in the, in the Christian soul. The problem is, if you're like me, you, your response to recognizing that you're thirsty is to go from one dry well to another, trying to slake your thirst. Listen to Jeremiah's definition of sin in Jeremiah chapter 2. He says this, Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, their own wells, broken wells that cannot hold water. Is that convicting? This is true of the people in God in in Jeremiah's time. And friends, I just know for a fact that it's true of us today. The two sins that characterize us are that we have forsaken the fountain of living waters, right? The never-ending fountain that will satisfy every thirst. We've, We've said, no, thank you. I'm going to dig a hole in the desert. And when that fails, I'm going to dig another hole. And all the time, God is saying to us, come to me. 
come to me. Come to me and, and drink for free. Revelation 21 verse 6 says this. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty. To you this morning, you who are thirsty, to me, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. That's called grace. Everything you need given for free. So God wants us to be thirsty when we're disconnected from him to draw us out so that we will seek out the fountain of living waters and there be satisfied. The question is, which fountain are we going to go to? For the the one who is not yet a Christian, there is an emptiness, and this is in every human heart, There is an emptiness put there by God such that they might recognize it and seek after something to satisfy them. And for the Christian, that emptiness has been filled by the Spirit, but we still experience seasons of dryness, and so we must seek out the spring of living waters. That's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to treat this gathering like a well to immerse yourself in. That's what we want this church to be. We want it to be a well that you can come to and drink deeply. That's number one. Number two. Remember. All caps, exclamation mark, remember. Remember, we're asking the question, how do we connect with God when we're feeling distant? How do we slake our thirst when we're feeling dry? We need to remember. And so in verse 6 and verse 2, he says this, verse 6, On my bed I remember you, I think of you through the watches of the night. Verse 2, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. He's in the midst of the desert. He's disconnected from God. He's feeling dry and thirsty for God. He's desperate for Him. And so he remembers, I have seen you in the sanctuary. I have been in the temple. I've beheld your power and your glory. He's rehearsing what he knows of God, what he's seen of God, what he's experienced of God. It's so easy for us to forget Those times in our life when God has shown up. When we're feeling like he's turned away. He says, at at night, during the night on my bed, I remember you. I think of you in the watches of the night. When you're feeling disconnected from God, do you spend the evenings worrying? Or do you spend the evenings seeking him? Meditating on, on his truth. I think one of the greatest tools we can use in these periods of dryness is to remember and to remember specifically our testimony. How did God save me? That is incontrovertible evidence that he is real, that he loves you, that he's pursuing you. Why would he save you and then disown you? Remember. Remember. That time 
It might have been over a period of many years. It might have been all in a moment. But remember that time when God was as real to you as your wife or husband, mother or father. Just imagine, imagine, right? Imagine the prodigal son. He's come home from a, a life of waste and sin. He's expected his father to kind of, at the very most, make him a slave. And his father runs up to meet him, hugs him, puts a ring on his finger, cloak around his shoulders, calls for a party. Imagine down the road, five years down the road, his son starts to doubt his father's goodness or his love. How powerful would it be for him just to look at the ring on his finger? He loves me. He ran down the road to meet me. How much more can we say that of God who is unchanging? Doesn't change how he feels about us based on our circumstances. If we're feeling distant from God, it is not because God has made himself distant. So we remember. You might want to remember your testimony. Remember God's actions as you read the scriptures. Just read the Bible. Learn the character of God. He is good. He is righteous. He is loving. He does not change. He is pursuing me. He is running down the road to meet me as I turn away from those dry wells. As I seek to meet him at the fountain of life. You can see this, an example of this in the, in the life of the Apostle Paul, right? So Paul, even in the midst of great distress, knows this truth and he puts it to work. So in, uh, in 2 Corinthians 1, and I love this passage because it just destroys that old myth that God will never give us anything more than we can handle, right? Just, you don't need to believe that and you don't need to be disappointed when that's not true because Paul describes a situation where that utterly and clearly wasn't the truth, right? He says to the Corinthians, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received a sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not only on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Right. So He's in the midst of great distress. He casts His mind back to the last time He was in great distress. What did God do? He delivered them. He was faithful to them. And so he remembers God's action in his life. He could have gone back to being knocked off a donkey, right? He had plenty of things he could go back to, to recite, to rehearse God's goodness, his dependability, his faithfulness. We heard it again last week, Albert, in Psalm 56. It was all about that, right? God is faithful, he's dependable, and even when we're overwhelmed, even when he's seemingly given us way more than we can handle, even when we think we're on the point of death because we're so overwhelmed, he is faithful. He can be trusted. 
Remember. So understand that dryness is God's means to draw us. Remember God's great acts in history, both in biblical history and in your own history. Number three, what do we got? Thanksgiving stirs up thankfulness. Thanksgiving stirs up thankfulness. This is one of the most important lessons I learned, and I learned it late, too late for my own good. But that thanksgiving stirs up thankfulness. Listen to what David says. This is what Sarah read earlier for us. Verse 3 to 5. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And verse 7 to 8, he continues, Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. I love that line. This is a great line. Again, if you're you're searching for tattoos, um, this would be one of them. Verse 3, I have... uh, Sorry, verse 3, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. That's a great line. I mean, David's a good songwriter, but that's a great line. Because your love is better than life. Have you noticed, given you know all of the context of this now, given you know that his son has just kicked him out of his kingdom, the kingdom that he had reigned over for 40 years, given that you know that he was God's choice to be king, wouldn't you think that there was a bit of ambiguity in his head about whether God loves him, whether God's good to him? No, there's none of that. There's just pure and simple trust in God. Why? Because he knows that God's love is better than life. God's love is better than life's circumstances. For some of us, we judge God's love on the basis of our circumstances. Am I rich enough? Am I healthy enough? Is my wife pretty enough? Are my kids obedient enough? Right? They're the indicators. They're the metrics we use to gauge God's love. No. David says, no, your love is better than life. Remember what Job said. Job said, Though he slay me, yet I will praise him. How fickle we can be in our judgment of God's faithfulness. But David says, Even in the midst of the desert, having been kicked out of my kingdom by my own son, the son that I raised from birth, I'll praise God. And as he praises him, the result, verse 5, he's fully satisfied. with The richest of foods. I love the literal translation. It's like, I'll be fully satisfied with fat and fatness. That's, that's the, the Hebrew. With fat and with fatness. And if you like fat as much as I do, you'll say amen. As he praises God, he is satisfied by God. Thanksgiving stirs up thankfulness. You might say to me this morning, maybe you're in this situation, maybe you're in David's situation, you're in the desert, and listen, I've been there recently. I've been in that pit. You might be saying, as I did in those times, 
it's all well and good to say, praise God, but I can't do it. I'm not feeling thankful, so how can I give thanks? One of the great things the Puritans taught us a few hundred years ago was to kind of put it in our vernacular, you can fake it till you make it. And that, that jar, that's jarring to some of us because we think if we don't have genuine affections, then how can we praise God with our affections? The point is that thanksgiving stirs up thankfulness. It's not that you fake it so that you can fake it some more. It is you, you praise God and in response to your praise, He stirs up those affections that were once dormant. So was David feeling this thankful for his circumstances? Probably not. But he praised God and it satisfied him because thanksgiving stirs up thankfulness. This is how Paul says it in in Philippians chapter 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what happens? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Right? It's the peace of God which contradicts your circumstances. It's the peace of God which you have no right to have given that you're in the desert of Judah or at the bottom of a pit of depression. He says, give thanks always. Rejoice. I'll I'll say it again. Rejoice. Give thanks in all circumstances. Pray with both petition and with thanksgiving. Right? As you do this, God will give you a peace that makes no sense. Listen to this, you eight out of ten of us who struggle with anxiety. The peace of God which transcends all of those reasons that you've built up that you should be anxious, that you should be worried, it cuts them down. It transcends understanding. So for those of us feeling distant from God, feeling dry, feeling thirsty, wanting to reconnect with God. We need to know that even when we don't feel like it, that thanksgiving begets thanksgiving. Thanksgiving stirs up thanksgiving and thankfulness. The most common thing in the world is for you to wake up on a Sunday morning or go to bed on a Saturday night and say, I don't think I'm going to go to church tomorrow. I just don't feel like it, right? That is the most common experience in the world, I feel like it, and I, I'm paid to be here, all right? I, I know exactly how you're feeling, and the truth is that if you would just come and open your mouth in praise, you might be astonished at the peace that God gives you. This is how Richard Baxter put it, all right? He put it like this Resolve, and he was speaking to. Uh, people who are depressed, what used to be called melancholy. Right? He says, resolve to spend most of your time in thanksgiving and praising God. If you cannot do it with the joy that you should, yet do it as you can. 
Doing it as you can is the way to be able to do it better. Thanksgiving stirreth up thankfulness in the heart. That's just, that's just dripping with gold, right? That's, that's so good. Understand that dryness is God's means to draw us. Remember who God is and what he's done. Know that thanksgiving stirs up thankfulness. Last one. Number four. Skip ahead to the end. Skip ahead to the end. Sometimes you just need to skip ahead to the end. Sometimes in the midst of your circumstances, when you're at the bottom of the pit and you can't see the horizon, sometimes even just mentally, you need to skip ahead to the end. You need to read the end of the book. You need to see how this thing finishes. So David says uh, and sings in verse 9 to the end, Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. For David, he is looking ahead to a a temporal resolution for his problem. He is looking ahead to the next however many years when God will reestablish him on the throne. He has a temporal understanding of God's action in the world. He has a limited understanding of, of eternity and what the life to come. But we stand on this side of history. We stand as members, one another, of a new covenant. And we know that, that God, Jesus is coming again. When you hear the last trumpet sound, the dead will be raised and God will establish a new heavens and a new earth. That's the end that we're skipping ahead to. So yes, thirst should drive us that today I'm not going to sleep until I am close again with God, until my thirst has been quenched. Yes, temporal relief for this thirstiness. Yes, temporal satisfaction in God's goodness. But ultimately what we're looking for is eternal resolution. Can you imagine a time, a time that's coming where you won't experience a single second of spiritual thirstiness or disconnection from God. That in the most real sense, God will be with us and no disconnection will be possible. That's what I'm looking for. I've experienced great dryness, great darkness great emptiness in this life, and I experienced a measure of replenishment and refreshment and satisfaction in this life. But I know that ultimately, that ultimately I'll only be satisfied in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what Jesus was, was speaking about when he, when he, remember when he was speaking to this woman at a, at a well in John 4 and he knew that she was so empty. She was being used by various men. She would just been married several times and now the guy she was with wouldn't even marry her. She was just being used up for sex. 
And so she had the kind of emptiness that men and women in that situation feel. And so Jesus spoke to her about water. And he identified himself as the giver of that water. It was water that would satisfy her in this life, that would satisfy her so that she doesn't need to look for satisfaction in men, but it was water that would ultimately satisfy her with eternal life. John 4.14, this is what he says to her. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That the water that you need will actually be inside of you. You'll have your own well. You won't need to look for satisfaction in other things that the Spirit himself will be welling up in you for eternity. So I just want to finish now. I just want to, oh, I just want to encourage us so much to forsake dry fountains. Can you imagine how silly we would look if in our thirst we were at a dry fountain just spooning sand into our mouths? That's what we're doing, all of us. We all do this all the time. And it's not just sex, it's not just alcohol, it's not just drugs, it's husbands and wives and children. All of them are dry wells. And God is standing before us in the person of Jesus saying, I've got water. I've got water for you. I've got water and if you drink of it, you'll never be thirsty again. I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes now and I'm going to read and pray. I want you to close your eyes and just fix in your mind the images that come to mind as I read because these words formed an image in the Apostle John's mind as he received revelation from God. And I've just picked a few passages from Revelation. So just as I read these, please be asking God to give you a thirst for himself and to show you the way to the fountain of living waters. This is a picture of our future. This is skipping ahead to the end. They, the people of God, shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst. For the Lamb, the Lamb is in the midst of the throne. And he will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who is thirsty, Come. 
Let him who desires take the water of life without price. Father in heaven, every single one of us in this building is thirsty. And some of us are on the brink of death. And most of us are digging in the desert while all the while a fountain of living water is offered us. Father, please give us the heart of David who in the midst of his desert sought you out. Sought you out as his only hope for satisfaction and the quenching of his thirst. Lord, please, please grace us with thirst. For those of us who continue to dig in the desert, I pray that you would keep us thirsty. Lord, save us from being satisfied by anything other than you. Lord, we repent, we confess that so often we are digging in the wells of our family We're trying to use our kids to satisfy us. We're trying to use our husband or our wife to make us satisfied when those things can never satisfy us. Father, I pray for this church now, for for each one of us. Lord, for those of us who don't yet follow Jesus, that the emptiness we know we feel would be filled up with the spring of living water. For those of us who are Christians, who have just over the years or over the weeks, over the minutes, Lord, that we've experienced increasing thirst and dryness and disconnection from you, please call us home. And now, even now, as we stand to sing, I pray that our thanksgiving would stir up real thankfulness, that our searching would find its end in real satisfaction. Lord, we love you, but we want to love you more. We trust you, but we want to trust you more. So please, be at work in our hearts now, even as we sing. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.